On today's episode, we'll discuss the best players for matchup 18, recent injuries and recoveries, and streamers for the week ahead. Plus, we'll share a few rapid-fire trade deadline recap interviews with MLB beat reporters. That's today on Fastball Fantasy Baseball. This is Fastball Fantasy Baseball with Taylor Tarter and Matt Kerr. Let's get into it. Here are the best performances for matchup number 18. So there, there is no argument about this one. Paul Goldschmidt, St. Louis first baseman, was the best player of matchup number 18. He went 13 of 24. It was a 542 batting average. Seven runs, three homers, and 11 RBI. And what, what a resurgence. What a monster. That's yeah, and crazy. like part of me is like regret – there's no way he repeats this, right? Like, there's no way he's he he can do this again. Like, it, he's having an incredible season. He's having an he's having a career year at age <laughs> like 34 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how often does that happen? But there are some things. There are some really good things he's doing this year. 12.6 barrel rate is uh, tied for fifth among first basemen, right? So really, really good. 46.8. Uh, hard hit rate is fifth among first basemen. So he's top five in both barrel rate and hard hit rate for qualified first baseman, right? So that's really, really good. 19% line drive rate with this season. You know, we've talked about it before, how with the humidors, with, you know, for the storage of baseballs, a different ball this year, driving the ball is so much more important and that's where you get the increase in BABIP that that like legitimizes the increase in BABIP and 19% is pretty good some of like the higher BABIPs if you like go through and look it's for like guys with like 22% line drive rates 23 24 right like that so 19% line drive rate 383 BABIP don't exactly line up for me even with a even for a guy with uh, a three forty nine career Babbitt, mm-hmm. you know that's it's just too high. It's it's unsustainable to me, and that's kind of why I was like the whole season, like no way, like no way this keeps going. But he's like he's doing it. Yeah, he has a twenty two point one percent home run to fly ball rate. That's the fourth highest of his career and 3% more than his career average. And if you look at the years, the seasons that he had the the closest home run to fly ball rates, 2013, 2015, 2017, and 2018, they all have comparable stat cast data to what he's doing this year. And there's only one of those years where he's had a lower line drive rate than this year. But his BABIP in each of those years was lower than this year. Mm. So uh, kind of like for me, piecing all that together is like maybe the, maybe the power is repeatable, but the batting average isn't. Mm-hmm. And my thought is like people are going to go into next season in like keeper leagues and I think are going to like value him too high. And, you know, in a, in a keeper, like in a league where you're keeping not your whole team. Right. So like dynasty league, you're keeping like everybody, of course, mm-hmm. you're going to keep Paul Goldschmidt, but like, depending on who you have. And if you're, you, you have limited keepers, I think people are going to overvalue him and keep him over somebody who may you know be on the verge of uh, a a really really good season and you know like like somebody's gonna look at him and look at Kyle Tucker and go wow look at what Paul Goldschmidt did and like Kyle Tucker he's you know yeah he went 2020 but he's got like a 250 batting average I don't think I'm gonna keep him next year you know what I mean like I'm afraid somebody's gonna do that and then they're gonna regret it next season 
I just think what he has going for him is that it's not really a deep position, though. You know, so I I think he holds a lot of weight, even if he does regress. Like I, I think most people, their right minds are still going to side with Kyle Tucker. You know, in that situation, I would yeah. Think, I'm just throwing in the first yeah, first but, name that came into my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it's just uh, it's it's pretty impressive what he's put together here. Uh, you know, because truth be told, we all thought he was kind of washed out. You know, yeah. uh, his first year with the Cardinals was not really that impressive, and it, it was kind of a foregone conclusion, right? That Goldschmidt, you know, he kind of was a prospect, like an unheralded prospect. Um, uh, he he improved a lot in the majors, uh, so it kind of felt like he was on borrowed time to begin with. Um, and then here we are. He's just hung just around like a fine wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and like I I don't want to be misunderstood that like I'm not saying he's not going to be good next year. I'm yeah. saying he's not going to be this good next year. Well, yeah, I, you're right. The Babbitt obviously needs to needs needs to come back down a little bit and that's going to have a pretty big effect you know like like you say there were there were a couple other uh guys who had some pretty good weeks last week Mets outfielder Starling Marte batted 344 with six runs two homers four RBI and two steals and Houston third baseman Alex Bregman batted 300 seven runs two home runs eight RBI and a stolen base and he's like finally coming to life in in the last well, like two and a half, three months of the of the season. So he's second half, second half guy this year. Mm-hmm. As far as pitcher, best pitcher last last week was Atlanta starting pitcher Charlie Morton, and we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. His Sierra, his expected FIP, were telling us the whole season, like buy in, buy in, buy in. And finally, it's starting to like come together for him. Last week, 12.2 innings pitched, eight hits, two earned runs, three walks, and 23 strikeouts. 23 strikeouts in 12.2 innings. And that was, and this this is the kicker, is he did it against Houston, and he did it against the Mets. He came away with a win, a 1.42 ERA, and a .87 whip. So really, really great. Uncle Chuckles finally rising from the dead. <laughs> yeah. And so like people who've hung on to him and I've been like waffling on like trading for him in one league and like, do I really want him? Like, like I'll have a clunker and then I'll have like four really good games and then a clunker. And I'm like, you know, but people who've hung on to him are being rewarded now. And it's like finally starting to, to show and, you know, there's, uh, he's doing a lot of good things. 10.9 strikeouts per nine. He's got a 293 BABIP versus a 303 uh, career average BABIP. Uh, he, you know, so that's not too far apart. Um, maybe he's getting a little, uh, a little lucky, but it's pretty close. 75% left on base rate, really good above average. The, the issue for him, and this has been all season, has been, basically a 39% ground ball rate when his career ground ball rate is 51%. And part of the issue is the launch angle on his fastball is 22 degrees. And that's up from 13 degrees last year. Mm. So it's a, it's a what nine, nine degree increase on his fastball and his cutter increase his cutter launch angle is 24 degrees. And it was, 14 last year he also has a zero percent put away rate on his cutter so he's got two pitches that are like performing really terribly this yeah. year and and that's kind of what's done him in yeah you gotta put that pitch away put it put it in the back pocket and forget about it for now <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, so maybe those maybe those trends are starting to change in like the last you know couple weeks or so he has lowered his ERA to 3.99 and his xFIP is 3.43 and his Sierra is 3.33 so those advanced ERA metrics are telling us like 
a four ERA for Charlie Morton is not in the cards, right? He's, he's better than that. And he's doing things that are better than that. So a couple honorable mention pitchers, uh, a bunch of guys had two quality starts last week, Joe Musgrove, uh, Arkady, Alex Cobb, Nestor, uh, Merrill, uh, yes, Merrill Kelly, uh, Johnny Cueto, Justin Steele, and Jacob Junis all ended up with two quality starts. Can we just talk about Johnny Cueto for a second? Because he put up back-to-back eight-plus inning starts, and he almost threw a complete game. Uh, he went eight and two-thirds, one out away from a complete game. I like what is going on? Quayle has just actually it's been a really hell of a week for the old guys. Wainwright had an amazing start yeah. too. Um, you know, and here we are talking about, about Charlie Morton. Like I mean, old guys just I, they put it together last week. But Quayle, I and I'm so mad at myself. I'm staring at him. He's available in our league, and I just didn't do it. And the next day he was gone, and I was like, ah. Oh. Uh, but Johnny Cueto has just found it again. It's like Goldschmidt, too. Like, I wrote off Johnny Cueto 100%. Uh, and then here we are. Like, guys are total workhorse. And he's still doing the weird deliveries and throwing batters off. Uh, I, I Just very, very impressive stuff with, with Johnny Cueto. Yeah, and, and listeners, if, if we have, like, religious listeners, I don't know if we do, but uh, – <laughs> If you know they know that like six eight weeks ago we were saying in our streaming section pick up johnny cueto he looks great you could hold on to him you know it's it's one of one of those uh smart calls that we made this season and we don't we don't make a lot of them but yeah did we nail johnny cueto yeah we're definitely (laughs) once once it winds down you know towards the end of the season we're definitely doing an episode of like hits and misses basically because you know of course of course we were not perfect on everything you know yeah um but yeah johnny cueto man if you listened to us and you did what we said good for you but the thing is so he had two starts uh he picked up two wins he gave up one earned run over two starts, 16 and two-thirds innings. And over that course of time, he had five Ks. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> he's that's just so a highly old veteran now, you know? He's picking apart. You get a ground out. It's crazy. It was an 0-5-4 ERA over those two starts. Unreal. Unreal. So cool. Yeah couple other guys arizona starter zach gallon went seven and a third four hits nowhere no walks 12 k's and a quality start with a zero era and uh tampa starter ryan yarbrough eight innings eight, eight and a third innings six hits none earned one walk 11 k's and a zero era for him too all right let's get into some injuries and recoveries couple big ones ouch baby very ouch. So we'll go through a few recent injuries. Uh, Cincinnati first baseman Joey Votto tore his rotator cuff, and he is done for the year. And that's a, it's lucky he plays first base, so he doesn't need to throw a lot. I don't know if it's on his throwing arm um, or not, but like that's a rough injury. And like I've talked about it before, I've t- I've, I've torn my labrum in my like dominant arm, my dominant shoulder. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, uh, that was like two years ago, three years ago, something like that. And, and I'm not a hundred percent like, and I'll never be a hundred percent like mobility, <laughs> soreness. Like, so I, it makes me wonder if like, you know, he's going to be what 37, 38, like, is this it? He play this final, final game. I, I, I think he, I think he came out and he said that he didn't know that he did it, right? But I think in reality, he was just he was just trying to hold on for mm-hmm. the Field of Dreams game, you know? And I think once once that was over, he was like, all right, let's see how many more games I can get out of this. And then just hit that point where he can't do it anymore. I know? wonder how I wonder how long he was playing with it, you know? Yeah, I think I I don't know. I feel like I think it's 
I would use it to justify his, his pretty crappy season, right? I mean, it was it's nothing like uh, like it was last year, and it would be pretty easy to see why he's had a bad year if, if he tore it a while ago. Yes, yeah. you know, and it, I think he just kind of had that 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 coming coming to grips with the reality of this is probably his last year. So let me see see how much you can get out of it. Plus, he was really into that field of field of dreams game. Yeah, like he. He was all about like talking about you know the, the movie and hanging out with dad and live tweeting his whole experience. You know, so uh, I, personally, that was that's just my take on it. I think he was just trying to get there for that, and then you know, he did. He, he's done everything he possibly could without actually winning a World Series or uh, did they even win a playoff series in his, oh, in his history. I have no idea. I can't. I can't recall if the Reds ever advanced out of the first round. Poor Joey Votto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another injury, the perpetually injured White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez is day-to-day with a bruised elbow. X-rays are negative, but, you know, who knows how long. And, like, I know maybe two seasons ago, maybe the 2020 year, we were talking about, like, oh, Eloy Jimenez breakout. He's going to be so good. And here we are year year in and year out and he's missed a ton of time and i i've never been an eloy guy and this just like solidifies that for me yeah i understand why people were into eloy and i at once upon a time was an eloy guy uh that trade they made to acquire him i thought was pretty brilliant um but i yeah i think that ship has sailed honestly uh and i I just think that there's there's better investments to make on your roster than Eloy Jimenez. Agreed. Kansas City first baseman Vinny Pascantino, a.k.a. Italian Beef, a.k.a. the Italian Nightmare, hit the IAL, <laughs> 10-day IAL with shoulder discomfort. Uh, it's a shame. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah. Really disappointing. Another really disappointing one. Dodgers starting pitcher Walker Bueller, he uh, posted that he had Tommy John surgery on Tuesday, which likely means that he is out next year. And, you know, like all of next year. It's a second one. Yeah, it's a second one. Just brutal, man. I think he's only 28 years old, too. So, you know, you think about all the time it takes to recover from these things. Probably he's lost three and a half years of, professional pitching uh and he's only 28 it's it's a shame yeah and then uh one last one here for the injuries minnesota starter tyler molly has shoulder inflammation on the 15-day il and i haven't seen anything that it's like significant uh but something to watch i'll also add as an avid uh aaron ashby guy uh he is now on the il as well also with inflammation um in his shoulder uh he hasn't looked very good recently either uh maybe that's no maybe that's been why i'm not ready to quit aaron ashby yet but probably uh, yeah yeah (laughs) that would explain a few things yeah yeah uh there's a bunch of recovery news atlanta starting pitcher mike soroka threw three innings and a rehab start on sunday coming back from an achilles tear after another Achilles tear so it's a good story for him Boston second baseman Trevor Story took batting practice last week he's working his way back uh White Sox catcher Yasmani Grandal should return in the next 10 to 14 days uh Dodgers starting pitcher Clayton Kershaw the team is saying he's not going to do a rehab stint he's going to do like an individualized rehab uh, like ramp up program and I I expect them, and th- this was kind of in the news before that, like they're going to be really conservative with his return, and I kind of still expect that, like probably he won't pitch for the for the rest of the regular season, and they'll just kind of like save his arm for the playoffs, which I think would be a smart thing to do. Yeah, what is, I I never really heard of that approach before, though. You I know, know me but... neither. Me neither. I was <laughs> I I read it and I was like, really. Like this is like the the Tom Brady special treatment here, you know. <laughs> yeah, he misses eleven days for something. 
comes out later, Kershaw's just hanging out the beach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. Miami starting pitcher Trevor Rogers made a rehab start on Friday. He had five earned runs in and seven hits and in two innings. I don't, I don't understand what happened here, but uh, man, the Rogers train really ran though. off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yankees outfielder Giancarlo Stanton is back in the lineup on Thursday. Uh, Philly outfielder Bryce Harper, he had two homers in a rehab game. So good sign for him uh, working his way back. Can I read you a tweet from the opposing team uh, last night? Yeah, the Gwinnett Stripers was the opponent last night for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. So their, their Twitter goes... Harper homers again to extend our deficit to nine to five. Listen, if you only count the at-bats by people with less than two National League MVPs, we would be tied. <laughs> Life's about perspective, guys. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Oh, man. So, like Some of these like tw- Twitter accounts for like teams and corporations are just like next level. Just the best, and minor league in particular, they're so good. Uh, I want to own a minor league team so bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, St. Louis starting pitcher Jack Flaherty basically was the exact opposite of Trevor Rogers: seven strikeouts and one earned with four hits and a walk in four innings on Sunday. And then I'm really excited about this one. Tampa starting pitcher Tyler Glass now through – his second live batting practice on Tuesday, he's going to face hitters one more time and then he's going to go on a rehab. And that's really exciting for a, a guy who could be really, really good uh, down the, down the stretch here, potentially. And the last one here, Tampa shortstop uh, Wander Franco, he was pulled from a rehab game after feeling soreness in his surgically repaired wrist at wrist. So uh, I I feel like he's probably done for the year. I feel wildly misled because I did see that he got pulled, and the initial report was saying it's not a concern. Literally, that's what the, that's what they said it was not not of much concern. And now here we are, and it's been pretty doom and gloom since then. Uh, I I don't think you're wrong. They're gonna they're gonna have to you know err on the side of caution with him big time because they just invested $217 million into the guy. Um, so it's one of those rare things for for this organization to do that. And it really would not shock me if they just uh, told him the rest the rest of the way. Yeah, and it kind of like puts me off a little bit for, for drafting him next year. Not that like the wrist injury is going to like linger that long, but just like – I don't think he is the player that a lot of people thought he was, you know, like, uh, uh, like he's not going to be like a, uh, a 30, 30 guy. He's not, he might not even be a 2020 guy. You know what I mean? And like, he might not be a 300 guy either. And that's kind of why I've, I've shied away from him. I've never drafted him and I've never traded for him. He's never been on one of my rosters in fantasy mm. and this season and like what he was doing before is all kind of like, you know, uh, reinforcing my beliefs. Yeah. I'm not ready to quit Wander yet. Um, you know, this injury is the kind of injury that's your power too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the play discipline is still going to be there. And let's face it, how old is he? Is he 21? You know, uh, there's still a lot of developing here that's going to be happening at the major league level. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think it's too early to kind of to, to to jump off the wagon. Um, but, you know, these are not good things. So. But if you were never on the wagon... <laughs> Then you don't have to worry about jumping on. All right, let's get into our streamers for the next seven days. Am I streaming? Am I streaming? All right, here are the teams with the worst run differential. These are the basically the 10 worst teams in baseball. 
Washington is like way, way in the lead. Uh, I wish I could remember off the top of my head, but it's like a 40 or 50 run difference between them and the next worst team. It's so bad. Uh, there, Washington essentially is a triple A team that is also playing, you know, that where like Nelson Cruz and Patrick Corbin are also on the roster, <laughs> you know, so Washington has the worst run differential. Then you have Pittsburgh, Kansas city, Oakland, Colorado, Cincy, you have Chicago Cubs, Miami, LA angels, and Boston rounds out the, the worst 10 run differential teams. And then the teams with the most strikeouts at bat, are the Angels, who have held there for a couple weeks now, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Milwaukee, Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati, Texas, Tampa, and Miami. And so the cross-pollination there, the teams that we're really targeting against, the Angels, the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds, and the Marlins. That's that's who we want to go after this week. So uh, our first streamer here and one of my favorites, I just added him in in a, a pretty shallow league because he's been doing so well as Cubs starter Justin Steele, who is at Milwaukee on Friday the 26th. In ESPN, he's rostered in 20% of leagues. And part of the reason I like him so much, he's got a sneaky nine and a half strikeout per nine rate. Like he he's not a name that like you think of right away as like a high strikeout guy. But he's striking out over a batter in inning. He has a 71% left on base rate, which is right around league average, and a 50.9% uh, ground ball rate. Really impressive. So a bunch of strikeouts, bunch of ground balls. That's real good. Mm -hmm. uh, Milwaukee is uh, second where they have the second worst average against lefties. They have the fifth most strikeouts against lefties and they're bottom 10 in walks versus lefties. So this is lining up for a really, really good start for Justin Steele. Uh, another one we have, Dodgers starter Dustin May is at Miami on Saturday the 27th. This is more of like a shallow league play because, you know, I'm sure in fan tracks he's rostered at like 95% or something. Um, but in ESPN, he's at 50%. And so he's only had one start. Not, he had nine strikeouts in five innings in his first start. But things are moving in the right direction for him. Uh, and, and this matchup is perfect for him. Miami is ninth worst in average against righties. They have the fifth most strikeout uh, strikeouts against righties. So both of those things are really good. For, for Dustin May, uh, he has a 52% career ground ball rate, uh, which is really impressive. And he has a 2.2 walks per nine rate for his career. And that's in 20 starts and 12 relief appearances. So limits walks, gets a bunch of strikeouts, gets a bunch of ground balls. Miami's bad against righties. Like, what more can you ask for? You know, it's 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 a it's a doomsday uh, <laughs> event in Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, if he's not available for you, I we have th two others, one other for Saturday, and that's Washington starter Josiah Gray, who is playing Cincinnati in Washington on Saturday the 27th he is rostered in 37% of ESPN leagues the the ERA people are going to look at and be like I don't I don't want him but if you dig deeper you'll see a 19% home run to fly ball rate that's like very very unlucky career uh, you look at league average for that and it can be anywhere between like 10 and 12% so he's getting really, really unlucky with how many home runs are leaving the park, how many balls are leaving the park uh, on fly balls. And he has a 4.67 ERA. But if you look at advanced ERA metrics that are, you know, like XFIP and Sierra that put things in, you know, that factor in what is basically only in a pitcher's control, he's got a 4.29 XFIP and a 3.97 Sierra, which are a lot more palatable, right? 
A couple other notes here. Cincinnati is, uh, they have the 10th fewest home runs versus right-handed pitching, which is a good sign for Josiah Gray, who needs that home run number to drop down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the game is in Washington, which is a more neutral park. He's not playing in Cincinnati, which is like a bandbox, you know. Mm Cincinnati is also among the 10 worst teams in strikeouts and batting average against righties too. So good option. If you can't, I would prefer Dustin May, obviously, but if you can't get him, Josiah Gray, really good option uh, for Saturday. On Sunday, the 27th, we got Toronto uh, pitcher Ross Stripling versus the Angels. He is rostered in 17% of ESPN leagues. If you, if you look at his fan graphs page, you'll see he's got fewer strikeouts than normal. And both his BABIP and home run to fly ball rate are lower than normal. So this isn't like a like a, a, a pick up and hold them type of guy. Like those things are going to regress and, and his ERA is going to regress. But this is a really really good matchup uh the angels have the sixth worst average the third most strikeouts and the 10th fewest walks versus right-handed pitching so again you know this is one of those uh uh like perfect storm type of matchups uh for for stripling uh who is a righty and then dodgers uh starter ryan pep I don't know how to say his last name. Pepio. Pepio is what I would say, but that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're we're picking on Miami again here. He is at Miami on Sunday. If Stripling is taken, this is a good uh, direction to go. Uh, Pepio is rostered in just 4% of ESPN leagues. And looking at his... his you know, the stat line here is things are looking good. 10 strikeouts per nine innings. We like that. What we don't like is over six walks per nine innings. That is very bad. Uh, He also has a 21.3% ground ball rate, which is like scary bad. Um, So those, those things are our worries long term for me but i'm looking at this as like purely a streamer and miami is terrible against righties so this is i, I think a really good matchup for him widely available uh and you know if if you if you are struggling to find a guy for sunday you know you need that last you need the that last start to like it put you over the edge. I think that's the way to go. We got two more. Milwaukee. Oh, no. We got one more because Aaron Ashby got uh, put on the IL. I oh, made this God. early. Uh, so we got one more. Seattle starting pitcher George Kirby is at Detroit on Tuesday the 30th. He is rostered in 37% of ESPN leagues. This is another guy wh- where it's like, why isn't he rostered more? Like, why I isn't he love- like... 80% owned. Love, love, love George Kirby. George Kirby is going to be a top 10 pitcher in two years or less. I freaking love George Kirby. Yeah, I I, I agree. He, uh, when you walk 1.2 batters per nine innings, things are going to go well for you, right? Like mm-hmm. he does not let people get on base. And he has a 9.2 strikeout per nine rate. So he's striking out more than a batter in inning. He's basically letting one batter an inning walk. Like he's averaging, uh, or no, he's averaging one batter per nine innings, right? So basically like a batter a game is walking and that's it. Uh, 77% left on base rate. So the that one guy that he's letting on a game isn't getting home, you know, <laughs> three, three out of four of those guys, you know, if he lets three guys on with a, with a hit and one guy on with a walk, w- one of those guys is scoring and that's it. Right. 44.2% ground ball rate right around league average. 
and right on league average with the BABIP and, and home run to fly ball rate. And so he's got a 3.47 ERA, 3.42 XFIP, and a 3.30 Sierra. So this is a guy where like I I had him in a in a shallow league. I ended up having to drop him for I think to bring up Dustin May. But uh, but I I was rostering him for probably two and a half months, and mm. uh, and and just had to like make room, you know. Uh, but it, you know, in a in a deeper league, like a ten or twelve team league. You know, and and this is ESPN too. So like most people are probably doing ten team leagues. He should be at like eighty percent rostered in ten team leagues, and he's got a great matchup against Detroit on Tuesday. He has so Detroit has the worst average, their league worst uh, against right-handed pitching. They have the fourth most strikeouts against righties, and they have the fewest walks. Second fewest walks versus righties. And that is perfect for Kirby, who doesn't walk anybody. So if if you if he is out there in your league, you need to add him right now and just hold on to him and enjoy the next what month of the season. Love this guy. I will say, yes, all that about Detroit and righties, but they did just tag Logan Webb today. Uh, right before we did this, um, who's a righty and has a decent pedigree about him. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe Detroit's starting to come out of their funk, but maybe not. I don't know. Maybe Logan Webb just had a bad day. Um, <clears throat> but uh, George Kirby is the future and the truth, and everyone should sign up to participate. Just a, f- a few things really quick. George, George Kirby – better strikeout per nine rate than Logan Webb this season, better walk rate than Logan Webb this season, which is saying a lot. Um, mm. And uh, better better left on base rate. Uh, like there, there are things that Kirby is doing better than, than Logan Webb. So I think, mm. yes, the, you know, Detroit had a good game. I think they uh, will not have a good game against George Kirby. <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would bank on them uh, not doing well. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back here with interviews with Nats reporter Jesse Dockerty and Reds reporter Bobby Nightingale Jr. to talk about some MLB trade deadline fallout for uh, major league teams and fantasy teams right after a word from our sponsor. We want to welcome back Bobby Nightingale Jr. to the show. Bobby covers the Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer. You can find his work there, and you can follow him on Twitter at Nightingale Jr. Bobby, thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be back. So the Reds had quite the sell-off at the at the trade deadline, and and in the weeks prior, uh, Tyler Malley, Luis Castillo, Tommy Pham, Drury, Naquin, all gone. Uh, but a lot of those moves seemed kind of expected. Is that how people are kind of viewing the situation in Cincy? Yeah, I think for the most part, you could tell. I mean, anytime a team starts three and twenty-two, I mean, yeah. your playoff dreams are kind of over in April. Um, so it kind of got to the point where, okay, how aggressive are they going to be at the trade deadline? Um, it was kind of make make a decision time on Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley either next year's the last year of their contract. So it's either sign them to a contract extension or trade them because it's kind of their peak of their value. And um, the way they've been cutting payroll the past couple of years, I don't think it surprised anyone that they chose to trade them versus signing them to a contract extension. So it, it kind of had that inevitable feel that once the trade deadline approached, there was going to be a lot of guys traded. And with, with trading away players, it, it usually creates opportunity for, for other players and, with Mali and Castillo gone, you know, there's rotation spots available basically. And one obvious beneficiary is Lodolo, um, who's looked good recently. Are there any other pitchers that you feel like could make an impact down the stretch with more playing time being available? I think one guy who benefited was Justin Dunn. Um, he's came from Seattle, originally a Mets prospect. Um, 
but he, he was out for a year with an injury, shoulder injury, and then he came back, and now he's two starts in. Um, he, he should be in the rotation, I would think, the rest of the year, and it's kind of his tryout period to see, okay, can he be a religious starter, or will they try and move him to the bullpen probably next spring? Um, so it's a, it's a big opportunity for him. Um, there's still some growing pains in terms of he hasn't pitched in the big leagues for a year and um, still coming up an injury, so you can tell that there's some rust there. Um, but when, when he's when he's good, I mean, he still was a former top 100 prospect, um, still, I think, 26 years old. So there's there's still a lot to like um, in his profile. And then also, you know, with Lodolo, Hunter Green's on the injured list right now, but they hope to have him back this year. Graham Ashcraft's another rookie um, that is really well regarded. So those those four probably are the, the main guys for the rotation for the rest of the season. What about um, opportunities in the field with, players like fam and jury and others that that are gone now basically yeah in the outfield it's going to be jake fraley who was one of those guys they got in the from seattle um in the march trade for jesse winker and eugenio suarez he's been really good um missed a lot of time with an injury but when he's came back i mean he looks like a completely different player um and last year he was the mariners best hitter against right-handed pitching so um he he was going to have a big role if he was healthy he just hasn't been but now that guys aren't here uh Tyler Naquin and Tommy Pham traded it's really opened up an opportunity for him and also RCD's Aquino um it's kind of like his last chance yeah. um kind of burst onto the scene a couple years ago has unbelievable power has a great arm in the outfield great speed um so all the tools are there it's just he has trouble hitting for average and um hitting breaking balls that's kind of always been the the book on him so he'll, he'll get a chance here these last two months I mean the, I think the Reds are just saying you know, him at his best, there's not many players that can match that potential. So, you know, might as well give him two months. And if he hits it, great. If he doesn't, you know, they probably move on in the offseason. And uh, arguably, Noel V. Marte, biggest biggest prize in, in the return from all these trades. Are there any other prospects that, like, we should be watching for, like, a potential September call-up? or maybe like an early 2023 debut uh, that may be like off the radar a little bit? Yeah, Spencer Steer is probably the the most closest to the big leagues type prospect that they got in all those trades. He came from Minnesota, um, an infielder who can play shortstop, third base, second base, probably not a true shortstop in the majors, but uh, could be a backup there. So he, he's a guy who hits for, a good, hits for good average, is emerged with power over the last two years. Um, that was kind of the thing when he got, came into the uh, professional baseball was he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but he's a good hitter. Um, he added that power during the 2020 COVID uh, pandemic canceled season. And then since then he's hit for a ton of power. So he's someone to really watch out for. And then also uh, I heard a lot about Christian Encarnacion Strand. He's a guy who came from Minnesota. He's a fourth round pick um, last year's draft. He already has 26 doubles and 27 homers uh, this year and like 92 RBIs in like 95 games, so, so like ridiculous power stats. Um, he's in double A right now, traditionally a third baseman, but with all the shortstop prospects the Reds acquired, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw him um, eventually shift to first. And he, he could be a guy I could see early next year, especially, you don't know, with Joey Votto, just he's going to have season-ending surgery. Um, you don't really know the timeline. I mean, everyone hopes he's back for spring training, but if there's any delays there and the Reds have an opening at first base, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a guy who, in spring training, they at least gave a look at and said, let's see if he can be our legitimate, you know, kind of hair Devado, because um, he'll be in the last year of his contract anyway next year. So there, there's kind of an opening for him, if especially if he continues to hit for power. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, what sort of, do you have any, like, idea of what the offseason plan is or what, what kind of direction the Reds are going to go in the offseason with, with so many like young, you know, uh, so many young prospects in the pipeline, you know, and uh, what's what's the offseason going to look like for them? Are they going to yeah, go I mean, young? I don't think they'll do anything crazy. Like, they're not going to sign many guys. I mean, they might do some incremental, like, sign another Tommy Pham type, sign another Tyler Naquin type, like these outfielders to one-year deals I could see. Uh, maybe a starting pitcher or two, like they traded for Mike Miner in spring training. Mm -hmm. Someone of that mold I could see coming in just – to fill innings they have such a young rotation already and um injuries have hurt a lot of guys so that, that would make sense to me um but I, I don't i don't think they'll make any big splashes they're not going to do anything that's i think going to block a lot of their prospects and they have a ton of shortstop prospects um that can move to other positions so i don't think they're going to do anything that would make 
like they don't want Ellie De La Cruz to have to wait an extra year just because right. someone else is there. So um, I, I think you might see some incremental upgrades, guys who might be able might be uh, trade chips by next trade deadline, but nothing nothing major. All right. Well, thank you, Bobby, as always, for coming on, on the show and uh, talking Reds. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'd like to welcome back Jesse Doherty to the podcast. Jesse covers the Nationals for the Washington Post. You can find his work there and you can find him on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse. Jesse, thanks for joining us again. Of course, guys. So it's great. I I have to start with Soto. It was he was the biggest name. It was the biggest name moved at the deadline. It's the second year in a row the Nats traded away a superstar with two years left on his contract because apparently they couldn't re-sign him. What do you think of the return that the Nats got for him and Bill? Yeah, I mean my my sort of like post mortem like breakdown of this both in my own head and in my coverage has sort of been like basically that you have to separate the return from the situation in which the return came right because they traded once and they traded josh bell so that's that happened and that's the reality and we there could be a whole baseball dissertation on the ways in which you know certain decisions and certain contracts and certain you know, practices and culture and whatever it may be led to a situation in which you had to trade arguably the best hitter in baseball or you felt you had to rather. So that's sort of like, I put that in one basket and I say that's worth dissecting. It's worth talking about. It's also worth acknowledging because I think a lot of fans are upset about it. And then I look at the return in a separate basket and I say they, they killed it. Like they really got a great return and you could make an argument I'm not saying I am one could that they're better off now potentially than, than even if Juan signed that $440 million deal in terms of long-term planning and, and sort of roster building. And why I say that is not because the six players they received are better than Juan Soto, whether it's aggregate war, projected war, whatever you want to do, but because the nationals are so thin in the upper levers of their system the farm system was still, you know, lagging behind the talent on the fringe of the majors and young talent in the majors has either, you know, plateaued or never even really gotten started. So to get four top prospects plus a potential impact arm in the fifth prospect from a team that has a very good farm system is a major deal. It just shouldn't be totally divorced in reality from how that deal came about. Yeah, that uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, aside from like, you know, you mentioned kind of the top, like there's like a kind of top four. Aside from those known commodities like Gore, Abrams, Hassel, what players should Nats fans be most excited about, you know, down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because it's almost like what's known is a little bit less exciting, right? Like we sort of, we've seen... Mackenzie Gore, which is, you know, when he's going well, he's dominant. We've seen CJ Abrams a bit at the major league level, which he's super young and is going to have some growing pains. Um, but the unknowns here and the projectionable players are probably the most exciting, both because of their unknown and because of their raw tools. So James Wood, from what I've heard, both from people with the Nets who are inclined to obviously color the trade a certain way, but also people in baseball and even some with the Padres, is that that was the player they were most frustrated with losing. It wasn't Gore. It wasn't Hassel, who was the top prospect at the time. But James Wood, who's six seven outfielder, who's cut his strikeout rate almost in half this season, you know, in his second professional season. He's 19 years old. He's, he's left-handed swing, a lot of power, makes a lot of contact. He's sort of a unicorn as far as prospects go. Of course, we don't know if that would translate to the major league level. But I think he's sort of the blue chip in there, even if he's not necessarily been at the top of the prospect rankings, which – is mostly a product of his age. Now, Kylie McDaniel in the last in the last ESPN top 50 for midseason has him in the top 15 already at 19. Um, less, you know, just a year out of his draft year. So I think he's going to be top 10, if not top five, mm. by the time he's, you know, on the cusp of the majors, if he keeps trending in this direction. So that's obviously a big if. 
And then Harlan Susana is the pitcher that they got who's 18 years old and he's throwing 102 and you can't sort of get a riskier sort of lottery ticket than that. Right. I mean, let's <laughs> young, young, young pitcher throwing triple digits, but it's, you know, it's more interesting than young pitcher throwing 96, right. Um, nice. Or 97. So he's um, I'm going to sort of sound like I'm parroting scout speak from the nationals. I don't want to do that, but like, it's an easy delivery. I've seen it. It doesn't, it's not really high effort. He looks like he's kind of playing catch up there, which is, pretty eye-popping um i don't know what he'll turn into i don't know if he'll stay healthy i'm not even sure if he's a reliever or starter i think they're going to start him at first to build his innings count but are going to then sort of ease him along and see if he's more a bullpen guy or a potential starter but i yeah even sort of the two guys you didn't mention of the five prospects they got like maybe the two sort of next guys wood and Susanna, are are the most intriguing because of a lot of the questions around them and, and sort of the potential that they have that's really interesting yeah i didn't know a ton about uh about the those two guys, but as, as a Nats fan, that makes me happy. <laughs> I did not say they're going to be winning this year. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I, I know you know. I know you know. Uh, one, one thing that I was surprised about in this deal is that the Nats, like, they didn't send Bell separately from, from Soto. And I'm curious, I'm wondering, like, how would the Soto deal have been different without Bell, do you think? Yeah. So the ask for Juan was four top prospects, basically, from any team. So a lot of teams, like, from the get-go, were eliminated by the guys in the front office who were putting together potential packages because you can look at their system and say, okay, let's let's go through four names or five names. If we don't like them or we don't think that they're worth Juan Soto, then we're going to move on. So the list of teams from the beginning was pared down because – the ask was four big name prospects, four top guys. Hmm. So for Soto, that winds up being Hassel, Abrams, Gore, Wood. The the variable I still don't really know, and I'm not really sure if there even is like an exact answer, is how Luke Voigt or a, a major leaguer gets into the deal. I, I think mostly it's to balance the money for the Padres this season. The mm-hmm. with Hosmer, I I reported this the day of the trade, but with Hosmer when he was in the deal initially before vetoing it. The Nationals were going to pay his salary for this season, but then not for the next three. So the idea was for them to sort of pick up whatever was left on this year, helping the Padres get through 2022. And then they would have been on the hook for his contract beyond that. Um, so with Voight, he's an elig- arbitration eligible. I'm sure the Nationals pick up you know, his money for the rest of the season. But um, so Susana was straight up for Bell. That was sort of, so you could even take him out of the equation and say, let's just do a Josh Bell trade straight up for Susana. But the reason why I'm not totally sure is because I think that adding Bell and then adding some more money in that maybe necessitates sending back a major leaguer to balance the books. And it was one of Voight, Will Myers, or Eric Hosmer. And basically the Padres got to kind of dictate that. The Nationals put those three names out there. They said, who do you want to part with? First choice was Hosmer. He said no, went to Boston. Next choice was Voight. He comes to Washington. What a a crazy situation that turned out to be. Yeah. 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 If you're Luke Voigt, you're like, so I'm on a contender one day and now Hosmer decides that I'm not. It's a, It must have been a whiplash of a couple hours there. Voigt had quite the run here from 2020 leading the league in homers with the Yankees. Then he's like, gets traded out west. He's living in sunny San Diego and enjoying yeah. life and the four slot. And then, <laughs> and then he gets sent to DC. Like, poor. Poor guy. It is spinning all the way around the last two years. Totally. I almost want to though too, like the day he got to DC or it was Philadelphia, but they joined the Nationals in Philly. Like I asked him sort of that, that exact thing. Like, you know, human nature would be like, I'm annoyed about this, right? It's just a totally different situation than you were in. He did kind of mention like, I'm an arbitration, I'm an arbitration guy. Like I, I can use the at bats. And I think like to him in some to some degree, like you stick around in San Diego and now you're behind Josh Bell. Now you're behind Juan Soto. Um, you know, Manny Machado, like all these guys, like either you're hitting down in the order or you're not playing every day. And I think like he hasn't been great so far for the Nationals, but like personal opportunity maybe is good. I don't know. I think he would probably, you know, trade it for being on the Padres this year. But like the silver lining is that like, you know, he probably is someone who could use consistent at-bats, especially since he's like very much trying to re- re- sort of re- rediscover what you mentioned earlier when he was like crushing the ball for the Yankees a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I actually, I remember, because I think it was a rain delay in his first game with the, the Nats in Philly, right? Oh, my God. And, yeah. Uh, he, he was like, we didn't have any of these this year. And I was like, save it, dude. 
But I remember hearing the reports where everybody in the clubhouse really ended up loving Luke Voigt because he got a you know had a chance to really connect with people yeah. in the downtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably that's, yeah. That's yeah, pretty he, cool. Yeah, he was like, it's also humid. I was just like, this guy. This guy comes up, spends, spends four months in San Diego. He's from St. Louis. <laughs> One uh, well, one trade deadline deal that I'm surprised didn't get made uh, was Nelson Cruz. Yeah, is there any like reason for that? Did it just like not come together, or were they just like not shopping him at all? No, they were shopping him. I mean, I think it just didn't come together. I think circumstantially, like, like it's a bad year to be shopping him because teams have had DHs all season, so mm. already he has to like sort overperform to some degree because. Like, it's not just, like, 15 teams, and then you maybe cut that number in half most years. Like, seven need, like, a DH, right? Because he doesn't play the field at all. It's not like you can put him at first or left field sometimes. He, he's a full-time DH. This year, everyone's basically employing one already, if not, like, two for platoon guys. So to add a, another bat to the mix that's just, you know, full hit tool, full power, and then add on top of that, he's not producing. So you've slimmed the market already just by the rule changes. And then he slimmed the market himself by his performance – and I think it just came down to like, maybe they could have sent him away for like, you know, a coin flip, coin flip, coin flip prospect, maybe. But I think at the end it was like, if it's, if the return's going to be that low or if it's not even sort of something that's like right in front of us, we're pretty busy with the Soto and Bell deal. I think, you know, we probably could just keep him around, have him sort of mentor some of these younger guys, be a decent clubhouse presence and go from there and cut our losses. But certainly not how they expected it to go. I mean, when you sign him to $15 million, you're basically looking at the fact that the twins got Joe Ryan last year for him, who ends up being their opening day starter. And you're saying, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going I'm, I'm to spend 15 million on potentially six years of control for a major league pitcher or, you know, six years of control for a major league outfielder, whether it's a, you know, four, fourth starter, fifth starter, fourth outfielder, backup infielder, whatever. If you can get that guy for him, like that probably is worth $15 million, right? Like down the line. Because that's you know it's a it's a pretty it's a it's a cost control asset. It's someone you can fill out your roster. Um, Joe Ryan's pitching pretty well. He's kind of probably become even more than that. But uh, it's just, I mean it was it was same with Cesar Hernandez who last year for the Guardians got them a guy who's made a bunch of appearances this season and this year is zero homers compared to the 19 he had at the deadline last year. I mean it's pretty shocking in terms of the regression for some of these guys that um, happened here. And you start to think okay maybe Cruz got one year older maybe Hernandez you know, was solved by pitchers. You also can look at sort of the major league coaching staff and say, what are they not figuring out or the analytics team or, you know, the video crew. I mean, I think it's, it takes a village to both perform and underperform. I think that's always the case. So, but Cruz, yeah. I mean, I think that the expectations were that they were going to flip him and that's why they gave him so much money and to keep him away from a contender. And I think for him, it was, I'll go somewhere. I'll guarantee to be playing down the stretch in meaningful games and I'll hopefully get another contract. But now it's, I think his, his future is much more muddled because of it. Is he on a one-year deal? Yes, mutual option for twenty twenty-three. But okay, that's get picked up. Yeah, I, I I thought there was another year in there, but it was a it was an option. Yeah, one for twelve or thirteen plus the buyout. Yeah, it's 15, 15 guaranteed. And so that kind of like leads me into like next season. Like, what what is the expectation <laughs> for like the front office heading into next season in terms of like how they're building the team. Like, have you heard anything about like, are they willing to spend money again? Like, you know, do one of those Jason Worth type deals for, for somebody, you know, to, to show like, Hey, we're, we're actually like going to try this year or, you know, kind of keep signing middle of the road one to two year deals to like trade them away at the deadline, add prospects and like build more slowly. I would, this is more conjecture and it's somewhat based on conversations I've had. I think like 2024, 2025 is when you'll start to see more free agent spending and then pushing all in. I think that's when they can project some of these top young players being ready, when they can sort of start to see a core forming internally and they can either add you know, a starter or a position player or a bat on the market for one of those sort of worth type deals or something of that sort. But I don't believe it will be this offseason. I think we might see a similar offseason than we did to this year. I think. In some ways, there are maybe even fewer holes to fill because Luis Garcia is here and C.J. Abrams is here and Carter Keepham's coming back from injury and Luke Voigt's around and Joey Manessis is playing decently. And it's not it's not a 
contending team, but it's probably a bit more filled out than it even was this time last year where mm-hmm. you needed a middle infielder, um, you needed some pitchers, whatever it may be. So I don't think they, I don't think they get, they sign no one, but I don't foresee it being a really fruitful winter. And then again, it's something that's like sort of a whole other rabbit hole and could be 10 podcasts worth of audio probably, but the ownership situation affects it as well. So if the team sells this fall and, and the, it gets ratified and, and the ownership changes hands, like does that sort of mean that spending can, begins right away because some Steve Cohen type who wants to just impress the fan base and make a mark, or does it get scaled back even more because they got bought by somebody who's more interested in just having somewhere to stash their taxes or I don't know. So it's, you know, there's a lot of factors. Um, I think the front office to this point from everything I know has sort of operated as if it's just no ownership change. We're just doing business as usual. We're trying to build a contender for the future, et cetera, et cetera. But if the actual boss changes midstream, like it's hard to know what that's going to look like. Yeah, that actually ended up being my my final question there in regarding regarding the uh, the sale of team and sure. you hearing any whispers about who could possibly be involved in that and also in the event that, the, that it does sell, what's up with Rizzo? Does does Rizzo feel like he's safe? You know, I guess he won a World Series very recently and maybe he's got you know a longer lease than most. Um, but like you said, this, this is a 10, 10 podcast episode. You know, yeah, question. no, I mean it's. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's a good question, right? I mean, it's something I think about a lot. I don't quite know who's like on the cusp of on the team, if, if anyone at all. I think a lot of the decisions that have been made recently, like there was a lot of chatter about like new owners sort of giving feedback on Soto, which was like total just noise. And there was a lot of cheap, you know feedback on like whether Martinez and Rizzo would be extended for one more year when their options were picked up, which they were in July. And I think um, in theory, it makes sense to just sort of guess, which a lot of people were doing, that like a new owner group would like have thoughts on that right and want to like set the agenda and, and and make a decision on soto and make a decision on the manager and the gm but the reality is that middle of the summer they weren't far along with anyone to, those conversations to actually be reality they had some suitors they've they've toured the ballpark with a handful of, of of potential suitors they've they've put they've had presentations of the money side and the baseball side but as far as like actually having someone on the hook or having someone like close to making a deal that has not been the case so like there haven't been like material conversations about like, well, what do we want to do with Mike Rizzo? Or what do we want to do with Dave Martinez? Those have mm. all still been the learners to making decisions um, and those around them. So um, that's sort of a vague answer because frankly, what I know is vague, but um, I don't know who's going to buy the team. Um, that would have been fun to come on here and tell you guys that though. Uh, but <laughs> I, 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 I do know that like the, the hope would be that something will materialize this fall. The owners meetings being in November, that's when, typically be ratified or voted upon the new owner joining their ranks. But um, this process is a lot of unknown still. And I think the team has never publicly described it in any more than exploratory. I mean, we've reported and we know that their intention would be to sell if the right situation came up, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot of unknown still. Do you, do you think that uh, being at Nats park um, is one of the very few stadiums that hasn't sold naming rights to um, is that, does that sort of add a little bit more value to the franchise? In, yeah. In, yeah, I think it definitely does. I think when I was talking to folks about Soto and how his value or how his presence on the roster or not affected the value that the, someone would laugh and tell me, well, the most, most lucrative things we can offer right now are Jersey patch and naming rights in the stadium. It's not one superstar on the roster. So I think like it's, it's good for us to on the outside to sort of like remember that like these revenue streams you know, are generally like TV, naming rights, sponsorships, and like baseball helps. And I think the team being good helps sell tickets and it helps skate. And these are all sort of like pocket liners to some degree, but like the big revenue streams, the, the naming rights is a huge one. So you've hit the nail on the head. And I think like the Nationals certainly have that to sell and Jersey Patch is, is there to both sell to an, a new owner and then for the new owner to actually sell. Hmm. I, I always wondered, you know, back when Harper was getting shipped out, like I wonder if they discussed naming the stadium after Harper when <laughs> yeah. keep him in keep him in the in that colors, you know. Silver uh, Diner Silver Diner Stadium. stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Thank you as always for uh coming on and talking with us. We really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, of course, guys. It's great. Thank you.
We'll be covering all the big news in baseball, the best players to drop an ad, streamers, and more. So make sure to subscribe and tune in so you're notified when episodes publish every Wednesday. In the meantime, you can tweet us at FastballPod, reach out to us on Instagram at FastballFantasyBaseball, or email us at FastballFantasyBaseball at gmail.com and we'll respond. You can also read my column called By the Numbers on FantasyPros.com. I do a data deep dive each week, so if you like what we do on the podcast, you'll definitely like the article. Finally, please give the show a five-star rating. Each high rating helps move this podcast up the list on all the podcast platforms when people search for fantasy baseball. So it's something that really helps us out. And thanks for listening.